Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Yak Gadget, made in America, based outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Yak Gadget offers all kinds of storage accessories, quick mount motor mounts, anchor systems, track mounted accessories, even paddles. Go to yakgadget.com and get your kayak decked out for your next trip out on the water. The 153 Bay Company, based in Troy, Ohio, make everything from plastics to custom painted hard baits. Hook them hard and hook them off. All of our baits are made to order and all of our hard baits are hand painted to order. So go to the153anglers.com to place your order today. Athletic Brewing Company is reimagining beer for the modern active adult. Their great-tasting athletic craft brews let you enjoy the refreshing taste of craft beer without the alcohol or the hangover. You can enjoy them anytime, anywhere, and still be healthy, active, and at your best. And when AB won North American Brewer of the Year at the International Beer Challenge, the judges were shocked to find out it was alcohol-free. I mean, seriously? buzz-free beer that is better than the rest and to top it all off as part of athletic brewing two for the trails program two percent of all their sales are donated to causes and organizations that support healthy outdoor active living through park and trail cleanup and maintenance whether you've decided to cut alcohol out of your life for good for a night or just one drink Athletic Brewing Company provides an option without compromises that you're guaranteed to enjoy. To try their award-winning non-alcoholic beers, go to athleticbrewing.com. Use the code PNF20. You'll save 20% off your first order. There is free shipping on orders of two six-packs or more, or you can use their store finder to find it on shelves near you. Athletic Brewing. Brew without compromise. This segment is brought to you by Jigmasters. Step up your game with high-quality performance jigs, spinner baits, buzz baits, and more from Jigmasters.com. And always, when in doubt, get the jig out. You're listening to Bass Fishing for Moves on the Paddle and Fin Podcast with your hosts, Ryan Milford and Sean Lambert.
Hey everyone, welcome back to Bass Fishing for Noobs uh, on the Paddle and Fib podcast. I am your host, Sean Lavery. Uh, my normal co-host, Ryan, is uh, dealing with some issues at home right now, so sadly he will not be able to join us tonight. But I am graced by the presence of the Trash Panda himself. What's up? What's up, Josh? Thank you so much for hopping on and filling in for Ryan in a pinch. Um, I appreciate you doing that for me, bud. Oh, no problem, man. My pleasure. I haven't been on here in a while. So when you asked, I was like, hey, you know, I'll join. And it's even better because we're going to talk smallmouth, right? Heck yeah, man. So tonight, without any further ado, we have our special guest, Mr. Travis Manson. He is host of the uh, Smallmouth Crush uh, YouTube channel. He has uh, lots of social media presence. Uh, I'll let him kind of do his own intro, but um, you can also check him out on travismanson.com, I believe. Um, but welcome to the show, Travis. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. No problem. Thank you, sir. Um, I've been a big fan of you for a long time. I happened to catch a, um, uh, a talk you did at the Sportsman's Show in Harrisburg, PA, one time, where you were up on the big tank, you know, you know, doing your thing. So after that, uh, that's when I first heard about you, and I've been uh, following your channel ever since. So Very cool. Yeah. So uh, for anybody who doesn't know you, why don't you uh, let them know um, who you are, kind of where you're from, how uh, you got started with fishing, you know, and, you know, hmm. there. all right, I'm not going to try to take up too much time, but I'll go through a quick, uh, well, it's not going to be quick, but we'll go through an introduction of, uh, <laughs> of how we got here. Um, because a lot of people may have been in the same situation and, uh, you know, maybe they can, uh, I guess, <laughs> relate uh, to the story, but uh, you know, really, I grew up fishing. I grew up in Wisconsin, and uh, as far as I can remember, my earliest memories have always been fishing, uh, not necessarily bass, although it always intrigued me. Um, I think I caught, I remember growing up as a child, and catching a different species of fish was always like that was my goals, whether it be a, a channel catfish or a, a I remember my first Northern, you know, for years, I'd never caught a Northern. And all you know is you hear stories of these big Northern pike and, you know, big teeth. And you got to remember, I'm just a kid. Uh, and that was like my dream fish. And so I was down at the creek by my parents' house casting a Mr. Twister, a white Mr. Twister, and finally got that Northern to bite. It was probably 22 inches, but it was the most amazing fish I've ever caught to, to date. Uh, and then it just went on from there. You know, uh, I keep mentioning catfish, but I mean, a channel cat was like a goal of mine forever. And, and it happened. And then these, these bass, uh, and back then it was literally, uh, a sinker, a hook and a night crawler or a bobber and the night crawler. And that was it. Uh, very little lure selection. Uh, I don't remember exactly why, but or when or how, because my dad was never big into, uh, he was big into fishing, but like, like what I was doing, bobbers and, and cane poles and night crawlers. Okay. He wasn't, uh, he was not a tackle freak. He, you know, uh, I, I really don't think I grew up with a bait caster in the house. It was spinning rods and spin cast reels. Um, and so he, he never had that, that urge or that passion to learn uh, from fishing. So probably when I was 
too young to remember, but I remember the article because it was kind of sad. It was shocking. Uh, if you guys remember Brian Kershaw, uh, he won a Bassmaster Classic and then literally died within months afterwards in a plane crash. Wow. Uh, well, that was the article I read. Like, again, I don't remember why my parents, maybe I asked them, but they, they gave me a Bassmaster uh, magazine subscription. And so that was one of the first magazine shows up my door and it's talking about some dude that just died in a plane crash. And it like, I don't know, for some reason, those are memories that you stick with. And so I read that I'm like, man, that's crazy. But then I kept reading the magazines and stuff. And, and, uh, to this day, it, I, I have to give credit to Bassmaster magazine to planting the seed about bass fishing. Now I still carried on. I would catch whatever bit down at the Creek, but I upgraded to a canoe and then upgraded to, uh, a five horse, uh, you know, engine on the canoe, believe it or not, <laughs> uh, gradually going out to the lake, finally from the river to the lake. And then gosh, 13, 14 parents would drop me off at the boat ramp in the 14 foot deep V and I would go to town all day long. Um, just learning as I go self-taught really, um, my first real bass I caught learning the techniques through Bassmaster magazine was on a Texas rigged, uh, Berkeley seven inch power worm. And then the shad wrap size five in chartreuse was my first smallmouth I caught using that bait. And then I got the bug of, uh, tournament fishing, but it wasn't bass. It was walleye, uh, back hmm. in Wisconsin, you know, the professional walleye trail, the PWT was big back then in the late nineties, uh, mid nineties, late nineties growing up. So you had like Keith Cavias would put out VHS tapes on lead core trolling for walleyes. And I was just fascinated by it. These guys in these shiny boats and these big motors and stuff I didn't have access to, but I wanted, uh, you know, badly, like I was begging for my parents to buy me a big fiberglass sparkly boat and it never happened uh you know they built some boats for me you know we took that 14 foot deep v and put a platform up there and a foot control old i don't know motor guide trolling motor uh the graphic came with at the time was one of them paper graphs so you gotta think i'm like 14 years old and using technology that's 15 years old but trying to make it work because I wanted to be cool, right? Because I read about it in the, these magazines. Uh, so that was kind of me growing up. And then probably after high school, because I almost missed graduation uh, due to a, a walleye tournament. So I started fishing walleye tournaments hard and was, was in love with it. But I was always fascinated. You'd look over, whether it be at the boat ramp or wherever you were, and you'd see these bass guys in those really sparkly bass boats. Uh, because at the time, walleye boats were more aluminum and, you know, they were the old school boats. And uh, I was always just fascinated. I mean, I took I've, I have pictures from like 93, 94, 95 on camera of me just taking pictures of these guys on shore in their bass boats, you know, throwing a, a spinnerbait or whatever to the bank. I was just fascinated by it. So it kind of it's always stuck with me but i just never got into it until about 2007 when uh, mercury approached me 
and said, Travis, we'd love to take you. Uh, we have a, we have some spots open to fish in the first ever Bassmaster Elite Series event as a co-angler down in Lake Amistad. Uh, that's the one Ish Monroe won. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm in. Let's do it. I'll go down there. So And so I had to uh, network with some people, and I bought a bunch of gear. Uh, Sportsman's Warehouse was the big place back in the day. So I borrowed some fishing rods, and I bought a bunch of tackle, and away I went. And I got hooked up with some top guys. You know, I hung out with Aaron Martins and uh, Byron Velvic. We stayed at his house. He had a big party one night down there. And that's really what got me interested. At, basically, after that event, I came back and, and sold all my walleye gear. Uh, and uh, in, oh, I think, oh, eight, I bought my first used uh, Triton 21X uh, from some guy down in Alabama. And ever since then, it's been um, nothing but bass fishing. So uh, long story short, that's kind of what got me involved. Uh, in 08, I started fishing team events back home in Wisconsin and started doing pretty decent and decided I wanted to be a Bassmaster Elite Series pro. And so that's all I could think about for two years. And so the only way to do that is to, to open uh, fish the opens and the bigger events, which I did. Uh, I qualified for my first year doing it. Had no re I mean, I didn't belong there at all on the Elite Series. I had no idea what I was doing. I had some pretty crappy equipment. And looking back, I have no idea how I managed to finish fourth in points across the country in those tournaments. Uh, no idea. It was it was just craziness. Um, nowadays, I mean, man, I'm probably as dialed in as anybody when it comes to my equipment, my gear, and, and how to properly fish for bass. I wish I had all this information back then. I'd probably still be on the elite series, but you know, I, I had a pretty good job, uh, trading commodities prior to joining the elite. So I had some money saved, uh, again, hundred thousand a year. And so that kind of goes pretty quick when you're not cashing checks. And so I only lasted about two years on tour and had to, uh, kind of reconsider my life. What, what I'm going to do. Cause I just came up too quick in the bass fishing scene. I just didn't have the knowledge or experience um, to compete properly. So I had to step back. That led me to uh, move out here on the East Coast now and then kind of fell in love with um, it, it's still a long drive, but I'm four to five hours away from some of the best smallmouth fish in the country, Lake Ontario, the St. Lawrence River. So I spent so much time up there. And then, of course, uh, I fish a lot of tidal water now. The Chesapeake Bay is pretty much it. There's not a whole lot of good things going on in PA as far as fun places to fish other than than those areas. So uh, it's not like Wisconsin where you could go to any lake on any given day and do whatever technique you want and catch 20, 22 pounds because there's, you know, 15,000 lakes uh, here in PA. There's there's not a whole lot for me to do. So that kind of drives me crazy, but it allowed me to get involved in videos and, and start filming my events and so about three years ago, I created a, a YouTube channel named after my passion of small, of bass fishing. I love smallmouth. So smallmouth crush and just kept uh, building that portfolio of videos. And eventually people started listening to what I have to say. And um, for some reason, here we are today with a pretty decent following, a loyal, loyal followers to the channel and a pretty successful track record when it comes to uh, tournament fishing. So. That was pretty much the long introduction, so I apologize for that, but that's where that's how it all happened. 
No worries, man. That's awesome. So, I mean, you're you definitely got the 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 chops to be able for people to be able to look at you and be like, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, I think that's a part of why your channel is probably successful because. But you don't always just go over basic stuff. You cover everything from tackle to you know you know tips and tricks and everything. Um, so I mean, that's mm-hmm. part, kind of what drew me to you uh your information because i'm still uh you know i'm heck i'm running the bass fishing for noobs show i'm still consider myself a noob when it comes to a lot of stuff i you know definitely don't have any near the level of success success that you do but um just learning uh you know through you know the the things you put out there has been super helpful to me so Mm -hmm. but uh and and now uh i how long have you been doing like your the podcast where you interview people. I, I wasn't quite yeah, sure so how long the podcast actually is very new. Uh, That's it started, it started in January of 2021. And the goal was, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to have a presence in the podcast space. You know, the YouTube channel was growing, uh, other social medias was growing, but, uh, I wanted to kind of get in on the podcast deal. But I still find that a lot of my uh, views from the podcast come from video. So, of course, I tape the podcast and still put them out on my YouTube channel. Uh, And the whole theory, I I wanted to do something totally different than just talk fishing. And I decided, you know, we need a theme for 2021. Well, let's start with interviewing the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. And so I'm about, oh gosh, I have about 14 more interviews to go uh, before that whole series is completed. So within a two month time frame, you know, 35, 40 interviews have been done only because I don't have time. I'm dealing with videos and tournaments and all this all summer, all fishing season. The last thing I want to do is have to schedule a podcast in July uh, when I'm trying to practice for a tournament. So the goal was to get everyone done, but my goal was originally January 30th, but of course uh, that hasn't happened. We still got a few more to follow (laughs) up with, you know, guys like, you know, me missing the podcast last night, stuff like that comes up. So uh, everyone's schedules hectic and it's hard to schedule 52 of these top guys who have crazy, crazy schedules, but we're getting the job done, learning a lot as, as we're going and now my biggest fear is what the heck am I going to do for 2022? And <laughs> do I want to cram in 52 uh, shows in one month? I don't know, man. That's I'm open for vicious. suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane, man. It was. It was. <laughs> and you guys know how long it takes. I mean, even a, a perfectly well-placed interview where you don't have to go back and edit you still got to put the intros and the outros and you got to put it on YouTube and you got to put the description and you got to go to your podcast platform and, and deal with all that. So 52, at least there's, there's times two hours. There's a uh, hundred some hours involved just in, in the uh, putting up the videos. Right. The production, right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can't imagine doing that many uh, podcasts in a month. I mean, I, I <laughs> yeah. we try to record at least once a week, Sometimes too, and even that gets hectic. I can't even imagine. It, it is tough. It, it is tough because you know some days we're doing five or six a day, and then I mean I'm drained, uh, and then I have to have to ask, act 
excited, you know, to each guest. And believe me, they're all very good. But after a while, it's like, man, really? We're going to talk about, you know. Yeah, uh, and then some uh, guy from some other podcast comes on and says, hey, man, you want to come right. on my podcast? And probably, That's the last thing. Another podcast. But no, it's good. It keeps me busy. But of course, with the YouTube channel, we're trying to put one video out a week as well. And then we do a live a week. So there's three different productions a week. Uh, and now I'm embarking on a whole nother journey that we might not get into yet tonight, but maybe later if we have time, but, uh, just a lot, a lot going on as far as the media side goes. Cool. It's great though. Seeing you, you know, successful in, you know, touching into podcasts and you got the YouTube channel, you know, it's, it's hard to get into the, you know, to get into it and be successful with it. So I congratulate you on the hard work, man. That's what it Thank takes. You. you know, that's what it takes. You got a dedication to it. You put forth the time, the effort, you know, a lot of people think the podcast games like real simple and the formula is a little simple, but the thing is, is how do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it exciting? You know, how do you not get burned on it and, you know, and make sure you've got good guests and, you know, mm -hmm. one of the hardest things for doing podcasts is like you mentioned is scheduling it, you know, sure. you get a lot of, um, a lot of like, sure. Yeah. I'd love to come on the show. And then like, you know, it's a podcast. So it's not super important to a lot of people. So it's like, all right, yeah, if I got something come up, I, you know, I can skip out on it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's, it's a little, it's a battle that we're familiar with, with paddle and Finn, you know, and that's no, no slight against anybody who ever has to do that, man. Like Milford tonight had a family emergency come up, you know, and that's why we're lucky that we have 12 people involved with it. So we got people who can step in at any moment and, you know, help, mm -hmm. help another host out or, you know, we got people, you got several people that are editing and, you know, there's a lot, a lot to it though, but it's, mm -hmm. it's fun, you know, but I can't imagine doing 52, trying to push 52 episodes in one month, dude. That's insane. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, You're really, you break that family. down, that's two per day. <laughs> and mm -hmm. like you said, it's not happening two per day. You got five one day and then maybe one the next. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But I guess if there's a time of year to do it, now's probably the time for sure. Yeah, I, I hear everyone all excited about spring and being able to get out there. And I'm like, man, I want four more months of winter because <laughs> I'm not ready for it. You know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, let me give me a little bit of time. Uh, my new boat just came in today. Uh, and as expected, you know. Uh, went to go look at it and a couple issues right off the bat. So, you know, there's, it's always something it seems. Right. That's where we get a little lucky. We're kind of kayak focused on our segment and uh, they're a little cheaper to maintain, although mm -hmm. definitely pouring in enough though. <laughs> I can't imagine having a regular boat, but uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I figured um, we can, chat about smallies if you're down with that you know uh, yeah absolutely i uh i'm also a fellow pa guy i live in uh york pa you know not super mm -hmm. far from where you are i don't think um so i fish the susquehanna a lot i i definitely feel you if the local lakes around me get hammered and i always wondered that you know is there places where you fish where you it's not just always a struggle where you just mm -hmm. you know nail them and it, i'd love to go up to a place like that just to see what it's like sometime because every time I go out, it's pretty much a grind. Yeah. So. Yeah. You get, uh, you get spoiled. Um, I like to set the hook. That's why I fish. Um, I don't like, uh, 
a challenge. Okay. If that makes sense, I want it easy. Uh, that's why I enjoy going out fishing. Um, I don't get excited over three and four pound smallmouth anymore. Like at all. I have zero interest in catching small fish. Uh, for me, it's all about trophy smallmouth. So it's those five, six and seven and maybe another eight is what kind of drives me. It's putting together a five fish limit. That's 25, 26, 27 or bigger. Those are my new goals. Every time I go out fishing, uh, of course, because I tournament fish, we can't always fish some of these awesome, amazing bodies of water at the right times. And so I'm forced to have to grind it out. And I, I enjoy the grind in competition, but I do not enjoy a grind when I'm fun fishing. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I would rather sit on the couch and just <laughs> hang out <laughs> than go out on the lake. Um, and that's just, I know it's going to be different than a lot of people, uh, call it what you want, but I, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. I'm just being really truthful with you, I have no interest in catching three pound smallmouth. I, I don't. Um, I want those big ones. And there's plenty of places in the country that allows you to do that. Uh, now, if it's an event where we know, you know, I fish tidal water a lot. I'm not only smallmouth, but, you know, I fish on the Chesapeake Bay for largemouth. And during certain times of year, you are only going to fish and, and catch if you're lucky five or six fish a day. And so when we have a tournament. I, I do enjoy that, but again, it goes back to the competition and yeah. trying my best. But if I'm out there fun fishing for five bites, I don't, I'm not into it. No, that's just me. And I think that's why a lot of people who are just getting into fishing don't stick with it. You know, you either get that bug and, you know, go nuts for it, or you have that experience where you don't catch anything or you catch one or two and people are like, why, why do you waste your whole day doing that? Mm -hmm. I kind of yeah. have the same feeling with hunting. I, I, I tried hunting and uh, after I sat in the woods for eight hours and didn't see anything, I'm like, I just wasted eight hours sitting on my butt. Mm. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's, feeling. yeah, I agree. It's kind of a, uh, it's like when you're out there fishing, I enjoy the outdoors and, you know, getting out there at first light and doing my thing and, and everything that comes with being on the water and being with nature. But uh, why not do that where there's a lake full of big fish that are going to be biting? So once you, once you take advantage of that and you see that, uh, now if I didn't fish pretty much every day and I was a weekend angler and, you know, could only maybe fish on Saturdays and Sundays. I, I'd probably appreciate the grind a little bit more. Uh, you know, like on the Chesapeake, I I'll do guide trips. Uh, that's where I guide quite a bit in March, April, May, and June, but come August and September when that you're fishing for five or six bites, it's just, it's not fun. I, I, I like to pick, and have the flexibility to be able to fish these awesome bodies of water at the right times of year. And so that's just kind of what I gravitate toward or, or tend to do. And it just seems the Northern part of the country, uh, not only is it gorgeous and beautiful and not a lot of pressure, 
and I'm talking anywhere from the Dakotas to Minnesota, the Wisconsin to Michigan to upstate New York and into Canada, Maine. You know, there's a lot of places like that. And it will take 20 plus pounds to do well for five fish in most events up there. Where if you look at Florida, let's take Florida, which is known for, you know, everyone thinks of Florida as having big largemouth. And yes, in March and February, it's going to put out your 25, 30 pound bags, but go down to Florida in August and look at those weights, you know, 15, 16 pounds sometimes will win a big event in, under those conditions where the Northern part of the country, I don't care if it's April through September, October, you need that big weight to do well. It's always a consistent bite yeah. and big fish. So that's why I love it up there. <laughs> You just have to be willing to travel, I guess, and uh, go yeah. to those places. Or live there eventually, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you kind of touch on something that speaks true. Like it's it's one of the things it gets frustrating when you know you're in the right place, you're throwing the right stuff, you know, and it's like, hey, why isn't this working out? And that's where it get it does. It get it can get frustrating, you know. The more the more that you learn sometimes it, it, you start second guessing like what what am i doing wrong you know and you mm -hmm. you may not be doing anything wrong that's how finicky the whole thing fishing can be you know when you really think about it and like you said it's so weather dependent that the further south you go the more heat there is the worse it is and here you are out in this 90 something plus degree weather and you can't buy a bite you know save your life at all you know so mm -hmm. it, it's um totally understandable especially with somebody like you because you like you said this is your job, you, you know, you're a tournament angler. So you, you are used to fishing for you're, you're always in a sense, aiming as high as possible, the best fish, you know, even in a tournament, even in a bad, not a bad situation, but not the most likely of, uh, you know, successful lakes at that time of year or whatever. So it's, 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 it's a good kind of thing that you you aim to go for trophy size fish, you know, like there's, mm -hmm. there's a few guys here locally that are like, yeah, I'd rather catch one or two trophy fish in a day than to go catch, you know, 15 little, you know, 12, 13 inch, you know, smallmouth in the river. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, well, that, the, the that most fun, the, the most en enjoyment I have, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of contradict myself when we're talking about, I don't like chasing three pounders. If I get into a group of fish, uh, somewhere, you know, where we have one of those 50, 60, 80 fish days. Um, and you're trying to get your best five to that 25, 26 pound mark. And you're catching a bunch of threes every once in a while. I mean, that's fun. That's enjoyable. Still. Uh, yeah. I'm talking about the grind where, where a body of water, where I know you have like a very little shot of catching something over five pounds. Yeah. That's kind of what it's like. Eh, I don't know if I want to waste waste some time on that body of water you sean's know I've like, i can see it and sean's like i'll waste some time there uh, right <laughs> um I've, i i'd be driving i bet you five hours to get anywhere where i am not wasting my time but at the same time it's all it's all relative to the the part of the country you live in so if your only access is the susquehanna river uh and your trophy smallmouth there is four pounds you know maybe if that's all you have, that would be your, your excitement would be to try to capture that big four pounder that lives in that river. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it goes back to just being, um, 
you know, relative to the area that you're fishing, what a trophy is considered to you. Um, you know, I know there's nine, 10 pound smallmouth in the great lakes and uh, I'd love to be able to cap capture one of those fish someday. Yeah. Josh, you've been up on there on Erie and stuff, right? So yeah. Um, monsters. No, um, I've been up there and we went around the Putin Bay area. And when we rolled in there, we were really happy, excited. And then the weather kind of took a turn for the worse. And being in a kayak, we got out and did some fishing, but nobody did real spectacular. There was a few smallmouth caught, nothing huge. And then a huge storm rolled in. So we kind of boogied out of there and we hopped around and just weren't successful. And there actually ended up being a pretty major bass tournament going on at the same time. So um, the cards were kind of against us, you know, weather wise, but it's beautiful up there. I had a lot of fun. Um, another time I went on Erie, but that was closer to the Toledo area. And it's not well known for smallmouth around there. It's more largemouth and because it's real muddy in that area. Huge walleye fishing. They're like Mike, my buddy Mike's dad, walleye fishes out there and they go out there for an hour or two, catch a limit, come back and bring back a ton of fish. And um, but yeah, I've only been up there a couple times. I hope to make it up there some more. So it's a it's a fun time. Mm-hmm. For sure. I that's what kind of why I was so excited to try Dale Hollow. We had a uh, meet up for our podcast in Dale Hollow last year, and um, I was I was so excited to go someplace other than Central PA, and I was like, finally I'm going to go to a place where you know it's not going to be hard to catch fish. And then what happened? The weather was like crazy, and everybody struggled to catch fish. I was like, come mm -hmm. on, sure. <laughs> That's how it so always long. goes. Yeah. You can't you can't plan a fishing trip without the weather messing it up. I'm I'm convinced of that at mm -hmm. this point. See. Travis here is lucky because he gets to fish on a regular basis. So he gets the, the bad and the good. It seems like you're like, ah, you're like me, Sean. You get the weekend off. You're like, looks good. Looks good. Day before. Nope. Not so much. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> But that means, if that means fishing in the pouring rain, that's what it means. Cause that's when I have time to fish. So mm -hmm. uh, I do what I can, you know, fish through what I have to, you know, if it means going out in a dry suit, you know, having it choke me all day for, you know, in 30 <laughs> degree weather, that's what it means. Cause that's, the only time I have the fish. So I, you know, but, um, I mean, I'm sure guiding is tough too, because, you know, people sign up expecting to have good days every time they go out and you're at the mercy of the same weather that everybody is. So mm -hmm. you gotta kind of got to do what you got to do. And I'm sure that's tough too, when you got to grind out on, uh, you know, when you have clients with you. Yeah. Yeah. I've been fortunate. The weather hasn't, uh, it's never been terrible. I've never had to cancel a trip due to weather. Um, you know, we may have had to dodge some storms and sit tight for a little while here and there, but never had to cancel a day. Uh, the Chesapeake, you know, even in the worst winds, you can always fish. Uh, and same thing up on the Great Lakes. There's always places you can tuck into to get out of the wind if you if it's, you know, really, really bad. Yeah, no, I, I went out on a striper trip one time out of Southern Maryland, and um, I think the wind was blowing like something crazy. And the, the, the skipper had said, you know, if this was blowing anymore, we wouldn't be going out. And it was crazy rough, but we still mm -hmm. managed to, to make it out. And we did fine. I, I, I think that trip I caught like a 42-inch striper or something crazy, you know, probably my, the biggest fish I ever caught. But 
uh, it was choppy as all get out out there. Mm, um, sure. But uh, it's still a fun time. So. Right. Heck yeah. So I'd I couldn't like have you. Go ahead, Joshua. So I'd like um, to catch 42-inch striper. That was fun, man. I, I'll tell you what, that was easily the, the biggest fish and the longest fight I had because I – they were we were trolling and it was probably I think 500 yards off the top. Like they had six rods out each side or three rods out each side and three rods out off the top. And mine was uh, and we just called pulled numbers. And, you know, so first number one, first one to hit would go and then take you know cycle through the numbers. And when my number came up, it was one of the rods up on top. And they had put those way out like 500 yards out the back, so they wouldn't get tangled with the ones on the side. And so I had to freaking drag that fish in. 500 yards my arms were burning <laughs> so that's awesome man but yeah travis I, I couldn't have you on here without at least picking your brain for smallmouth tips at least a little bit i figured sure. i'd see what your your go-to is uh i know i i i mean i'm a spinning rod guy a finesse guy i do have to do some bait casting and stuff but um I see you, a lot of your videos, you do uh, spinning rod stuff. I know you do bait casting too, but you know, that kind of, uh, I've always kind of watched your, uh, your finesse stuff. Well, you know, your spinning rod stuff, because mm -hmm. that's a bulk of what I use. I was watching the other night, uh, a Ned rig video that you did where you were just kind of having one of those days where, you know, you're just slaying them. And, uh, so I figured I'd see what, you know, your go-tos are, your, sure. your confidence baits presentations and stuff like that. Yeah, so I do use a spinning rod probably more more times than most people, uh, even for largemouth and and smallmouth situations. Um, that's just uh, that goes back back with kind of knowing knowing what you're really good at and efficient at, and uh, I just seem to always gravitate towards uh, towards spinning rods. Deep, you know even in places where, you know, I've done on the Tennessee river in, in tournaments and, uh, certain bodies of water where that's not the norm, but I would search out patterns that would suit and be productive with a spinning rod just because I'm really comfortable with it. So when we're targeting smallmouth, I'm going to have a bunch of different spinning rods on deck, uh, most of the time, of course, a drop shot's going to come into play for me. It's going to be uh, not only a shallow, a deep application, but also a shallow water application. So two feet to 50 feet, I'll utilize a drop shot. Now, I'll get kind of a little sophisticated with it. and I mean, that's a three-hour show right there just on drop shot weights. Uh, it really is. There's a lot to drop shotting. But I'll definitely have a handful of drop shots ready to go a handful of what we're going to call Ned rigs, but it kind of evolved for me. Not, not only is it just a standard, you know, two and a half, three inch stick bait, say, call it what you want the Z man TRD. A lot of different companies make different Ned rigs now. Uh, but there's going to be a Ned rig, a couple different Ned creatures. We'll call it is well tied on. Of course, uh, a variety of tubes and different sizes will be ready to go. Uh, hair jigs. So marabou hair jigs, will be on the deck as well. And really the only hard baits I'll throw is uh, some small flat-sided crankbaits at times, smaller jerk baits, and then spy baits is what I would throw on a on a spinning rod. But that's pretty much uh, 
the deal. That's that's what I do most of my damage on. Would be a drop shot, Ned, tube, hair jig combination. And that's pretty much what I stick with when I'm fishing clear bodies of water for, for big smallmouth. Okay. I have a quick question. Um, I've always kind of been interested because I've always wanted to know the difference in the sensitivity of the bite that you would feel in a shallow water application drop shotting versus um, your deep water applications. Cause obviously you're going to need more weight to get that, you know, get down there a little further, um, get down farther and a little quickly, you know, I'm, I'm sure throwing like a one eighth ounce, you know, drop shot is going to take forever and a day to get down 50 feet. Mm -hmm. So when you, what kind of weight are you using when you hit that, that, that kind of depth and sure. what's the bite like shallow versus, you know, that 50 foot depth. Yeah. So the bites are uh, pretty much the same, really, depending on the body, uh, you know, the, the water depth doesn't make the bite a whole lot different. The feels pretty much the same when you're drop shotting. It's uh weight size really varies on all the different situations. So if I'm in 10 feet of water or less, I think a three sixteenth ounce or a quarter ounce weight is pretty effective for me. Uh, when I get out a little deeper in that 15 plus 15 to 40, I'm going to more than likely, this is if I'm targeting fish on the bottom, I'll pick up a half ounce, but more than likely it'll be a five eighth ounce, uh, drop shot weight. But there's times when I'm in 40 feet of water, I'm throwing an eighth ounce weight because these fish are suspended and I want to slow, uh, that fall rate of that bait. And, and as it passes through these fish, so there's always a time and place, regardless of depth, for different weights. Uh, even shallow, there's days when a half ounce is what I'm going to pick up in eight feet of water because I'm in three and four foot rollers, and I want to make good contact and not move that bait too much. I want to keep that bait on the bottom and let the waves and current kind of do the work for that bait. So there's there's a like I said, there's a lot involved in you know, the, the different size weights that you would pick up on a, on a regular basis. And even the, uh, material, the weight, as well as how the weights made or designed, you know, whether it be a round weight or a, a cylinder weight that has a lot of different applications for each type of weight there. So, uh, you know, I carry quite a bit. I go through, you know, four or 500, uh, drop shot weights a year, probably. Um, wow. when I'm out there. So a lot, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's something I use quite a bit. I mean, there's always a drop shot on the deck pretty much wherever I go in the country. Yeah. You make a good point though, for a lot of people who might be new to drop shotting is, you know, if you are graphing fish and you're looking at them and they're on the bottom, yeah, you're going to want to throw something with more weight and keep it down at the bottom, but you know, lighten it up. If you see them suspended that way, that, that bait drifts down real slow right in front of their faces. And then I really like the point though, you made that, you know, you'll use a heavy weight in shallow water and let the waves do the action, you know, because mm -hmm. that's one thing that I struggle with, especially even being like a river guy is trying to find the weights to match up with what the water movement's doing, you know, because you could throw, uh, uh, you know, a three quarter ounce weight and you're just slamming into the rocks and getting caught under everything, you know? And then if I bring it up just a little bit, sometimes I find then 
and it's just getting washed down real fast, you know? So, but that's a really cool tip. Everybody, you know, kind of make note of that. You know, if you see that you got really windy day and you're rocking around in that boat and you know, the fish are, are there, but you, you know, you, you think that your bait's probably moving around too much and you want to lock on the bottom, you know, pick up, don't be scared to pick up that heavier weight and just let the, the action occur through the, the current and the wind and the waves. That's I like that point. That's really cool, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, the initial drop, you're going to get reaction bites oftentimes, but <clears throat> most of the time, if that doesn't work and there's still fish that you're seeing and you know, they're there, it's pretty much don't move that drop shot bait at all. Um, I see that way too much, too much shaking and jigging going on down there. Um, two, three minutes sometimes before I even think about moving that bait. Heck yeah. I was, I was going to ask you that too, because at uh, the same point, uh, I fish the river a lot, the Susquehanna, and um, I've, I've heard drop shot is great, but I get so frustrated by snagging and either mm -hmm. that, yeah, same thing, trying to find that right weight so that I'm either not just washing right past where I think the fish are, or I'm getting snagged every cast and, you know, you know, using sure. yeah. drop shots a year. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, that's definitely a good point. Um, and maybe, maybe I do need just to, to you know, go heavier in some of those applications just so I know it's going to stick somewhere, stay put. Now, are you usually uh, kind of vertical fishing with that, like dropping it down on them, or are you? It's really both. Yeah, casting over vertical, it's it's really depending on the situation. So uh, if I'm dropping straight down, I like a medium light rod. If I'm casting, I like a medium rod. I use light braid, 5, 8, 10-pound diameter braid to a fluorocarbon leader uh, most of the time. So it's... Uh, it really depends on on the situation. The shallow fish, of course, I'm I'm mostly casting to. Uh, the deeper fish, I'd say 50-50. I'm dropping them down, or I might see them out a little further too, where I'm making casts. But for the most part, uh, and then of course, largemouth, it's pretty much casting to to largemouth as well. Would you say you fish more current or more kind of? I know. I guess obviously the Chesapeake's going to be current right uh or yeah a little tide influence um i'm in both you know i fish a lot of rivers with smallmouth deep deep rivers when i mean of course there are shallow spots as well where i'll utilize the drop shot but it's a mixture of current and non-current bodies of water that i do fish that's that's another challenge for me because every time i think i have it dialed in i'll, I'll switch from the river to a lake where there's hardly any current. Basically, the only thing you're moving you around is the wind. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's a completely different presentation at that point. So uh, mm. definitely something I'm still still learning. Uh, at least, I, you know, to me, it seems like a different application. And maybe it's more similar than I am giving mm -hmm. it credit for. But um, well, th that's cool. So um, trying to think of anything, any other uh, tips or tricks, trick, bah tricks or tips i can't say it that you want to throw out there <laughs> you don't have to give up juice or anything you know i'm sure you got your go-to's but yeah i mean i try to keep things really simple when it comes to tackle and gear um you know as far as colors go for smallmouth fishing 
your green pumpkins, your straight black, and your smoke purples will pretty much have you covered for uh, the right to have the confidence that you have the right bait. Now you're going to hear buzzwords and keywords for every body of water you go to, and you want to take note. You know, if you keep hearing about a green pumpkin with gold or purple fleck, uh, you might want to try something like that on that particular body of water. But for the most part, those colors pretty much cover it all. Um, I wish I could say I've seen a difference, really. It goes the same for largemouth. I mean, if you're pitching a bait to a log, a Texas rig creature bait, I mean, I have a hard time believing that if, if it's black or black and blue or green pumpkin, I think that fish is still going to bite it. I think if you throw a lizard at that, it's going to bite it. I think if you throw a Senko at it, it's going to bite it. I, I'm not too concerned. I don't see it enough to be like, oh, man, you need a three-and-a-half-inch creature bait with three tentacles coming out of it in order to catch that fish <laughs> on right. the log. Uh it's designed to catch anglers and spend money on tackle uh, is really what it's all designed to do. Um, I think that fish, I think it's more important how that bait lands in the water and how it's presented. And if that fish is in the mood and looking, uh, you know, you can bring a bait past the fish and it's positioned the opposite way and it's coming past its tail and um, it's just zoned out or just chilling and it's not really in the mood. It may not, feel that vibration or it might feel the vibration and just be like, Oh, that's just another bluegill chilling over here. Do I really want to spin around and grab it? So, you know, all this stuff goes through my mind when it comes to that, it's more about presenting that bait properly or hoping you're presenting it properly. I do a lot of visualization too, of what's under the water, which I think helps, um, probably a lot more than most people. So, and you can practice this as silly as it sounds. And I've said this before, but um, I mean, just take today. I had to drive to Reading to Bowers to pick up, uh, to take a look at my boat. So I'm on the interstate and you look out over a field and you see a rock pile out there or you see a ditch line. Uh, that's the same thing as on the bottom of the water. There's certain places like that. And I'm always like, man, if that was full of water, that's where those fish would be. So my mind's always thinking that way. Uh, I can't get away from it. Like I see underwater even when I'm on dry land, which is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say another thing. I just, I was kind of watching some videos before we got on tonight just to kind of, you know, uh, get up to speed and everything. And one of the things that I saw on your channel was uh, you have a, just a little aquarium that you sure, run, the, yeah. run the base through. And I, I was like, that is a great idea. I'm going to go hop on Craigslist and see if I can find a cheap <laughs> aquarium. Cause I, yeah. I, think that, I mean, to know, to not just to be guessing what that drop shot is doing on the bottom of the water, but to actually be able to see what it is. I don't have a, a fishing pool, uh, swimming pool. I've heard of people doing it in swimming pools and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, I mean, I think that's a, a really good idea. Um, you know, and like you, like you said in that video, you're, you're trying, you know, different uh, drop shot hooks and comparing them. Like what does this bait do on a size one versus a size four uh, yep. drop shot hook, you know, one, you know, and just compare like the rate of fall and that kind of thing. That way, you yeah. know, you know what it's doing and you're not guessing. Um, mm -hmm. It would drive you crazy to do it to all the different baits out there. So what you want to do is get confidence in a handful of baits. Like, so I have a go-to drop shot box. And so that's when I'll apply the different hooks 
sizes and, and look at them in the tank because I want to see, okay, I really like this bait. I use it a lot. So let me get intimate with it and really see what it does underwater. So that's when I'll take the time to do all that. Uh, of course, when I see some new baits on the market that look intriguing, uh, I'll pick up a pack and test it first too, just to kind of give me an idea what, what it's doing under there. But at the same time, even the best looking bait uh, in, in, in the aquarium, sometimes the other one that just lays there on the bottom and just looks stupid will outproduce it. So, and I don't know why, you know, there's some, right, we give some, a couple examples. Uh, what's the one? It's the, it's the old man's devil. I don't know what it is. Spear. It's just a stupid uh, spear. I can't think of the name now, but it's just a little two and a half, three inch piece of plastic that doesn't do much. It just lays on the bottom. Yet I can catch a bunch of big smallmouth on that bait for some reason where you put one of these fancy Japanese plastics on and it just, you know, you just twitch the line and it just gives off a bunch of movement and vibration and it's like well that should probably get bites before this thing that's just laying on the bottom <laughs> a piece of plastic laying on the bottom is all it is shaped like a spear that doesn't even look like anything <laughs> edible in nature none of yeah. these plastics do i don't care. I maybe a lizard is about as close but how many lizards you see hanging out in the lake i yeah. don't i've never right. seen a lizard in the lake like so where we I don't, live, this why kills me. Somebody's like anywhere above like Tennessee and up. Like you're like where where do you guys see lizards? I have never seen a lizard in Ohio. Yeah, not yeah. that there isn't some, but I'm like it just mm -hmm. kills me. I'm like so that's what like, drives me crazy. It's not going off of uh, it's not matching the hatch. It's not even these goby drop shot baits. They don't look. You put a goby up next to that plastic, and it looks like a piece of plastic. I don't care if you put plastic eyes that are 3D in it. It still doesn't look like a real Gobi. So that's not it. It's it's more that instinct, that that drive that a fish has to eat and bite and perhaps ambush. I think that's what those baits are and the movement and the way you fish them is a little bit more important. Uh, someone show me a real live plastic that looks like a Gobi. I'm in. I mean, yeah. it's hard. It really is. And the way they swim and look, you're like, sure, yeah. <laughs> so I've seen some crazy ones, especially when we're up around Erie. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, they're taking plastics and putting, you know, marabou on it, and just like <laughs> everybody's trying everything. They're, tr and they're trying, and they all <laughs> they they have their time and place, and they do work. Obviously, that we catch them on the dumbest things, but yeah. uh, to me, it doesn't look like anything real in nature. Uh, so whatever that means, you know, even one of my favorite baits of all time for smallmouth would be a three inch uh, original, you know, Gary Yamamoto Senko in straight black. I mean, that what's that supposed to look like? You know, even these leeches. I mean, I don't see a lot of leeches out there in 40 feet of water either. So who knows? Yeah. But you right. make a good point, though. It's like, um, you know, a lot of people chase that that next bait and cause they hear so-and-so is killing it on it, but it is, it is all about the right conditions, the right presentation. You know, I, mm -hmm. there's three basic colors. I've always heard too, like black, you know, green pumpkin and brown sometimes, or like, or a pearl of some sort that resembles a bait fish, you know, and you'll, you'll get bit on those colors 
you know, and then there's days you won't, but if you're not getting a bid on those colors, you're probably not in the right place doing the right thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's, um, there's, I can, I, and I kind of, I understood that when I went up to Lake St. Clair and we fished the right at the end of the spawning season and I was throwing a swim bait on an underspin and I kept, I got ripped apart, man. This thing, it was working. And I was originally throwing the smallmouth magic color. It's like uh, green on top, slightly silver on the bottom, Kytec. And I ran out of them. I'm like, well, shit, what am I going to do here? And I literally just went through a bag that I had. And I threw every color and every variation I had in that bag, which is probably 10 different colors. And every one of them got hit. It had nothing to do with what color it was. It literally had to do with what the fish were doing. Mm -hmm. And I was pissing them off because I was in the nesting area with those baits. So Sure. I, I think I find one magic bait, maybe two a year, where it's like, wow, this needs to be put in my arsenal at some point. Uh, and and that's that's pretty much it. Um, I'd say in the last five years, there's been four or five baits that have really changed. Uh, that's helped me a lot high confidence baits that are now part of the uh i throw them wherever i go regard you know they're always tied on uh ready to go i think you know one of the most important things if you are getting into smallmouth fishing or finesse fishing uh, and throwing a spinning rod is making sure you have the best setup that you can afford uh there's a big difference between a 120 rod and a six seven eight hundred dollar rod and if you get to the point where you're really serious about fishing and you want to develop your finesse game and take it to the next level, it all comes down to your setup. Before you even try to present a bait to a fish, you have to have the right setup. So that goes with the real, uh, being real smooth, a good drag, uh, lightweight, of course, and then the rod itself, you know, a medium light for a lot of finesse tactics is, is what I would recommend. Six eight, six ten, seven foot, somewhere around that range, and just trying to get the best rod blank uh, out there that you can you can afford. I been doing it long enough that I know there's a huge difference between some of the top end rods. Uh, I I wouldn't I would have a hard time fishing a a lower end rod uh, just because I I love the feel that I have with that, knowing what's going on at all times with my bait, and then pairing that with the right. Uh, set up as far as line you know for the most part if you're a serious finesse angler fishing these baits you need to start throwing braid to a fluorocarbon leader it's just going to allow you to have a lot better feel work that bait a lot better and you know low diameter is not 20 pounds low diameter is five eight that's going to help you with distance that's going to help you with fall rate that's going to help you with having that bait look somewhat realistic flowing in the water, the way you move it, the current, things like that. You want to get a good braid. And I don't think you have to mess too much uh, as far as fluorocarbon. You really need maybe, if I had only picked one, it would be eight pound. So six, eight, and then 10 for largemouth, or if you're fishing around grass, maybe 12 if you're in dirty water around structure. But for the most part, I think you can get by with, with an eight pound uh, fluorocarbon leader. So you don't have to get too crazy. You don't need a whole lot of rods for this. You know, if you don't mind retying and tying different baits on, uh, I think you'd benefit by getting yourself one of them 
higher end rods and really focusing on take the year and just be like, you know what? I may not be a finesse angler. I may not use a spinning rod as much as I'd like, uh, but I'm going to commit to it for most of the day when I'm out just fun fishing and tr bef until I get some confidence in there. Cause there's so many different opportunities that you can fish with a spinning rod versus a bait caster and allow that bait to look a little bit more natural and get a lot more bites if you will. Yeah. Um, I had a quick question cause you touched on like using like the 20 pound diameter braid versus, um, you know, like the, the, the smaller diameter, you know, five, six, eight, whatever. Um, there's a lot of people that use that 15 to 20 range on, you know, even finesse setups. Do you think because of the floating action of braid, then it would mess with like finesse fishing? Because if you're using that thicker diameter, is it going to want to pull the bait up and kind of yeah, let it hang up there? It, yeah, it's not going to have the, the right fall rate. It's not going to, you know, there's a big difference between 0 0.00 four and point zero zero five when it comes to diameter and braid uh you wouldn't think so just by the number but there truly is so there's no re i mean five pound braid you you're gonna pull it you're, you're gonna slice your fingers with it before you won't break it 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 just it doesn't break uh if you are going to you know if you're not comfortable with that you want to use 10 or 15 then try to use the same braid size with all your spinning rods too that way you get a feel for how it fishes and works like you don't want to hodgepodge of different braid sizes for me it's five and eight five on my medium lights and eight on my mediums and that's it i don't like to differ from from that too much yeah well it's a good thing we ryan skipped out on the show because he's like a total power fisherman and you know he he <laughs> hates throwing a spinning rod so you know these are uh, good topics to talk about when he's not around. Right. <laughs> I'm kidding, Ryan. I love you, man. So, but um, awesome. Well, uh, I think that was a ton of good info. I, I would definitely be interested in picking your brain more on drop shotting. Like, you know, if we could have you back on some time to talk explicitly about drop shotting, because that's something, definitely something I, I need to learn more about. And uh, I think it would make a good show if you're interested. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to it. Uh, you know, the basics, of course, getting set up with the line and then the different baits, and then we can talk hooks and then it's locating fish, you know, uh, especially for me, I know with your viewers, it's probably a little different being in kayaks and stuff like that. But, um, uh, you know, as a deep water, big water angler, uh, electronics really come into play too, which benefit me a lot, uh, when, when I'm out there fishing. So that's a whole, I mean, there's so much that goes into it that, uh, and then, of course, you can have the best electronics in the world, but you still got to put yourself around the fish. Yeah. And it's trying to locate and stay on these schools of fish that move constantly, sometimes for no real reason in, in our minds that we can comprehend. You know, same conditions the next day, and they're just gone when nothing has really changed, where you can go to an area that's just loaded up with a big school and then there's a whole new weather pattern and you go there and they're still there. Like, okay, why are they here this day? But, uh, during stable times, they're just not there that one day. Yeah. And then you can go back six days later and they're back. Welcome back. Well, where did you go? You know, where right. did you run off to? I looked everywhere for you guys for the last <laughs> three days and here you are again. So, 
you know, a fish is a fish. We got to stop thinking that they're relating to cover and they're hanging out on this drop or this ledge. They'll go out there and just chill, man, 30 feet down over 60 for no reason sometimes. And how do you target that in a massive body of water? You know, yeah. it's tough. And I guess that's part of what makes it interesting. You know, uh, going back to before when I say I love fishing big, big smallmouth and lots of fish. I mean, as good as it is up on the Great Lakes, there's days where it's a grind as well and it's tough. So when I do get into those days where you're catching, you know, 150 fish a day and there's multiple fish over five and six pounds, you know, that you got to, you got to take advantage of it when you can. And that's when I don't hardly ever come off the water. When you get into a good bite, you're just out there wrecking them. Uh, and that happens, you know, a handful of times a year uh, where it's just some truly amazing, amazing days. Uh, you know, 300, 350 fish days is can wow. happen. You know, that's a blast. Heck yeah. That sounds uh, Sean, amazing. Sean, have you guys done a tube episode? Uh, I'm trying to think if we have, um, I don't remember doing, sp uh, no, you should pick, pick his brain about tubes also. So Ooh, then, definitely. Yeah. That's definitely. a whole, that's a whole nother deal there with tubes. <laughs> there's so many different tubes out there. There's so many different sizes, different ways to rig them, different ways to fish them, different rods to use for each different type of tube fishing that you're going to do. Yeah. I've been using tubes a lot more lately for largemouth even. Uh, and been messing around using more smallmouth tactics for largemouth, which has been pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, I've been wrecking them on it. But uh, it's it's something I, I, again, thinking outside the box, a lot of my smallmouth experience, a lot of my largemouth, when I fish largemouth, I seem to fish largemouth like I would smallmouth. I think that just comes with what I'm used to. So yeah. you're going to see me doing that over some of these power techniques quite quite a bit. Not that okay. I don't love throwing a frog or a chatterbait around. I certainly do. But, uh, again, you're trying to get those key bites. And in tournaments, that's where sometimes changing things up a little bit can give you that edge. Now, other times you can get your butt kicked by a guy in, in the grass throwing a chatterbait. Yeah. <laughs> so, who knows? You know, <laughs> it's a guessing game. Right. Absolutely. But that figuring out the puzzle was part of what makes it fun too. You know, when, mm -hmm. when you can actually be like, you know what I, when I started out today, I, I, I couldn't find them, but you know what? I found them. I figured out what they wanted to eat and now I'm having a great day. That's a cool feeling to know, you know, that you put the puzzle together and, and, you know, figured out what, you know, what you needed to do. Mm -hmm. So if only the puzzle could stay put together, you know, <laughs> day two, that, it falls apart again. You got to do it all over. <laughs> right, right. But that's what separates, you know, the, the guys who do consistently well is that mm -hmm. they are really good at putting that puzzle together, you right. know, picking up on those subtle clues from one catch to the next. Okay, what what was the same about this catch versus my last one? Or, you know, what's what was slightly different, you know, mm -hmm. so yeah. I've, I've heard a lot about it. I definitely am not a very good puzzle person yet, but um, I'm definitely working on it. So. Sure. Thank you. Well, dude, uh, we're we're. A little over an hour, so um, I figured I'd let you give a, a shout out to anybody or sponsors or social media, anything you want to plug. You know, feel free to. Yeah, um, man. So you know, first and foremost, I, I definitely, if, if people are interested to in learn a little bit more about my style of fishing and, and how I fish, definitely want to check out 
the YouTube channel, Smallmouth Crush. Please subscribe if you're over there. Instagram, it's Smallmouth Crush as well. Uh, I work with a lot of really good companies. I, t I partner up with uh, companies I, I use on a regular basis. So you're not going to find me uh, tied into a particular bait company per se. There's going to be baits that I endorse and use on a regular basis, but there's a lot of great companies and I can't be pegged into one brand. Um, that's one thing that drove me crazy when I first started in learning about bass fishing was a guy just like you saw, you know, in Harrisburg would be on one of them tanks doing a seminar wearing a, a, a strike King Jersey. And he's going to tell me all about the strike King rage craw and the Ocho and the 1.5 square bill. And that's all he's going to talk about because he's getting paid by that company to do so. And so I didn't want to be put in that box. I wanted to be a free agent when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I do partner with with brands that do support me as well as companies. Uh, of course, the tackle store, the real shot they're located in Wisconsin. They have a pretty good online store as well. Uh, every time you go over there, you can use my code smallmouthcrush crush 15 and get a little discount, uh, at checkout on, on your product, you know, rods, uh, St. Croix rods. I've been using those for years. I love them. Uh, I'm not sponsored by Shimano, but I really like their reels. So I, I do use the, uh, the higher end uh, spinning reels, as well as the bait casting reels uh, from Shimano. And of course, a couple key baits that I can't live without would be Z-Man products. Uh, Gajo baits make a great uh, Gobi. Still looks fake, okay? Gobi imitating <laughs> uh, bait, but it works. Um, so I do utilize that quite a bit. Uh, Beast Coast Fishing, we're actually coming out with a finesse jig here in a couple months. Uh, that's going to be a little unique and different to the to what you've seen on the market, it's going to emphasize a jig trailer over the actual jig itself. So the emphasis for this product is actually the trailer you're using, uh, but it still functions like a football jig, just a little bit different than what you're you're going to actually find in the market. Uh, of course, braid. I'm always on the search for the best braid. Uh, Cortland uh, Line, which is a not too well-known company in upstate New York, American-made. Uh, they make some really good uh, braid that I like to use. As far as fluorocarbon, you know, I like Gamma, expensive, but it's good stuff. Um, it truly is uh, some amazing line. So I definitely recommend Gamma on, on the fluorocarbon leader. I also mess around with a little bit of Bass Pro Shop, 100% fluorocarbon. Uh, as far as my hooks, uh, Gamagatsu split shot drop shot hook is the number one drop shot hook that I recommend. Again, I get no kickback from them. I just love their, love their hooks. I've tried them all. If you're new to drop shotting, that's definitely going to be a hook you're wanting uh, to get your hands on. Get Bit Baits make some of the best tubes out there. They're based out of Wisconsin, and of course, uh, if you are if you guys want to upgrade from your kayaks and get into a bass boat, uh, Nitro Boats uh, powered with a Mercury motor, and I get all my all my boats from Bowers Marine, second oldest uh, Nitro Tracker dealer in the country, located in Reading, uh, Pennsylvania. And those guys definitely know how to get you set up and rig your boat properly. So my hat's off to them. I think that's it. Did a good job. <laughs> someday, someday a, a boat's in my future, but uh, right, uh, right. It's, it's probably, <laughs> I got to get two kids through college first. So sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So cool, man. Well, again, uh, thanks again for stopping by. Yeah, thank you. Uh, appreciate it, Josh. Thank you for filling in for Ryan. I appreciate no problem. that too, man. <clears throat> um, so everyone, go uh, check out Travis uh, uh, on his YouTube channel, uh, Smallmouth Crush. And uh, thanks again for checking in uh, or following along with uh, Bassfish for Noobs, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle in Fin. 
Don't forget to go check out our website at Paddle, the letter N, and Finn.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at Paddle, the letter N, and Finn at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler. The Angler button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com.